Okay. I'm in Matthew 13, 1 to 17. Hope you'll join me there. Matthew 13, 1 to 17. I didn't expect this many people. A lot of people said they were going to be gone this week, and, and I didn't spend that much time on my sermon, so no. I'm just kidding. Yes. This one was actually written 27 weeks ago, so I had no idea what was going to happen, right? Um, This is a tough passage. This will make you think. Uh, It's not not normally how we think of Jesus. It's not normally how we think of salvation. It's not normally how we think of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, It's a little bit different, and we need to wrap our minds around it the best we can because it is the word of God, it is the truth, and it is what we need to know. So I, I thought I would begin by uh, just trying to introduce this this way, and it's probably not the best way to introduce it, but I couldn't think of anything else, uh, so here you go. Uh, I know many times uh, we, have, we have a little weed out in northwest Kansas, and I think it could be cut if it would stop raining, and we'd like, like that to happen so we can get that, but I like to walk out once in a while and just take a couple of heads and thrash them in my hands, you know, you just like you're a concave in a cylinder and you get that all messed up, blow away the stuff that you don't need, you know, and then eat the wheat, you know, see, it, see if it's hard or see if it's soft, whatever. And the, the concept of threshing grain is really simple, right? It's just a matter of you take the grain, you get all the chaff off of it, blow it away, and all of a sudden you have yourself some wheat, you harvested wheat. It's really, it's really simple. Now, um, I would hate to choose to do that for the entire field, right? Uh, it, it, I wouldn't have any hands left. They'd be rubbed raw, and it would take forever and all that stuff. But most people uh, would not choose to do that, too. The simple process of knocking the grain out of the plant is uncomplicated on the surface, right? We just talked about that. But it's very difficult beyond belief when we uh, investigate the modern combine. Uh, the modern combine is extremely Uh, difficult in terms of its makeup, in terms of uh, the things that make it work and how it it used to be compared to what it is today is unbelievable. The process of harvesting grain is a hundred times more involved than were the machines uh, when I was young. Now, I'm saying that everything is nicer. You sit in a nice cab, you got a buddy seat, you got, some of them have refrigerators in of them, and they, they drive themselves. It's just, it, it just seems so simple, but sometimes they're hard to operate, but everything is so simple. You just sit there in an air-conditioned cab, and this wheat rolls into the bin, and you're ready to go, and you don't really stop and think about everything that's going into that. Uh, and these modern-day combines are unbelievably uh, difficult. It's a long ways from rubbing grain in your hand. Uh, I, I didn't check, you know, recently what a modern combine costs, but I know they start around a half a million dollars and go up from there. That's without the header for them. And uh, they have a mind-blowing advantage. And uh, as complicated as they are, they're very easy because sometimes these new combines will set themselves for the different grain you're in, and they make it that much easier. Uh, when I was young, I remember my dad had a 7,700 John Deere. We were happy to have it. Uh, but it, uh, you know, it was an old thing uh, that didn't have a buddy seat. If you wanted to ride in there, you kind of sat on the floor next to him, and the mice ate a hole in the seat one winter, and that was difficult. But I remember my dad did not set the combine. My brother set it for him like four years before that, and he just pulled out and, and cut wheat. Well, he was running 
straw out the back of, its, uh, of the uh, walkers about this deep and about this much grain just riding right off out on the ground. I'm, I'm waving him down. I say, what are you doing? So we have to set this combine. He said, well, your brother said it for me a few years ago. Nothing's changed. I said, everything's changed. You know, and, and back then I went to turn up the air on the straw walkers and you had to go, you're, you're running by the combine. You're, you're going beside it on the ground. You're reaching out and turning the knob to adjust the airspeed. Nowadays it's up in the cabin. You just set it where you want it with a little button and stuff like that. Well, everything's different. But threshing wheat is so simple, right? Now, it's not about wheat today, although we're going to be talking about seeds. Like this, salvation, in other words, how you get to go to heaven and get payment for your sins, that kind of stuff. Salvation is so simple, so simple. But the one who looks closer into everything that went into the process of saving people from their sin, it was very complicated on God's part. God has been working on this since the day Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Did you know that? God has been working on your redemption from that very day. That very day he promised a savior. And God has done all this to put everything together, all this program. He finally sent his son to earth and his, his, his earthly life was, as you know, perfect. And then he ends up on a cross, and people end up hating him, and people just wanted him on that cross. They wanted him to die. All these things that God went through, and yet at the end of the day, God says, look, if you want to go to heaven when you die, just all you have to do is trust in me. Just believe me. That's it. He did all the work. He did all the heavy lifting. He took care of everything, and he made it easy. And I can't think of a more simple presentation than if you're going to hell because of your sin, you just need to believe Jesus forgave you of your sins and accept that and believe that he died on the cross for you to pay for your sins. And if you'll ask him to be your savior, he will. And all your sins are taken away. So all that stuff that we didn't see is right there and it's so simple. It's as simple as taking grain and you know, thrashing it in your hand and blowing away the chaff and you have what you need. Simply believe. And it's incredibly tough for God and yet People can't seem to understand the message. Just believe. So here's our passage. We're gonna, it's uh, got verses seven, 17 verses. Verse 1 is where we're starting in Matthew 13, 1. Now that day Jesus went out of the house. So he was in a house, we assume, in Capernaum, and he was sitting by the sea. A large crowd gathered to him, and he got into a boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Probably what we saw in this film was not very accurate. There's another film, but it was too long, and it had some inaccuracies in it that I didn't like. Supposed, Jesus was supposed to be sitting in the boat, and that one he was standing, but it was a nice seashore where people could get. This is a, you know, you took your life in your hands just trying to get out to see Jesus here on this thing. Uh, but the point is, uh, there's, there's a beach there, and the whole crowd is standing on the beach, and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, and so the apostle picks out one, thing that he said, one parable. There were many things, but here's the one he picks out because he wants us to know it. In fact, it's going to take up most of the chapter by the time we're done with it next week. And he spoke many things to them in parables, and we're going to talk about what a parable is, saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, so this farmer is planting seeds. He's not really planting them, he's broadcasting them. And he sowed some seeds. Some fell on the side of the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but because they had no depth of soil, uh, they uh, didn't make it. Because the sun comes out in verse 6, 
when it had risen, and they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And then Jesus stops and says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what I'm saying. In other words, if you have the uh, ability to perceive what I just said and what I'm talking about, then take action on it. You just heard something. I want you to take action on it. And then he quits. So there he is in the boat. He's sitting down. Probably the disciples were in the boat with him. And he's talking in front of these people. I don't know how well they could hear him. And the disciples came to him and said, uh, why do you speak in parables? You see, something's happened. He didn't used to speak this way to people. He used to be very plain about what he was saying. Now, all of a sudden, there's parables. Our disciples who don't always catch on to stuff, they caught on to this. And what they caught on to was, this is different. He is speaking in a way that isn't as clear as what it used to be. And that's what it boils down to. And so Jesus answered them in verse 11. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... It has not been granted. Okay, this is what makes it difficult. Here's Jesus in the boat talking to his disciples, or, or they're gathered around him on the shore. We're not really clear. Here's Jesus telling them this stuff. And he said, to you guys, it's been given to know the truth. But to them, what would you think? Wait a minute, Lord, I, I thought you wanted everybody to come to a knowledge of the truth and everybody to be saved. And you're saying they, they can't hear, they can't see, they can't understand this. Well, if they can't understand, why are you talking in parables? Why don't you just tell them plainly? Why are you doing this on purpose? And his answer is, even if we don't like it, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, in verse 11, but to them it has not been granted. By who? Well, apparently by God. For whoever has, and he's talking about uh, the knowledge of the kingdom, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have... Even what he has shall be taken away from him. And when I read that verse, I instantly think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes who just don't get it. As simple as the gospel is, they just don't get it, and they don't believe it. Jesus says, therefore, this is the reason I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled, which says, so now he quotes Isaiah, and he's quoting chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and I would heal them. So we're saying Isaiah, hundreds of years before, prophesied about the very people that Jesus would be ministering to in his ministry, and here's what's happening to them. They have eyes, but they can't see, like the miracles that are going on, and sometimes they were just dumbfounded. Why are you asking him to prove he's the Messiah when you just saw this healing? And he says what he wants to say in his teaching, and they don't get it. It's just in one ear and out the other. They don't understand it. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. In other words, the coming of the Messiah. And did not see it and hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Now let's go back and look at this. In verses 1 to 3a, Jesus teaches a large crowd of people by means of a parable. 
The word for parable, so what is a parable? The word for parable is made up of two words in the Greek text, meaning to throw aside. It is a comparison between a known and an unknown truth. All right, what the people did know about was a farmer planting and broadcasting seed. They did know about that. What they don't understand is, what does this mean? And so in a parable, between the known and the unknown, a parable is that which throws them alongside of each other. Here's, here's the truth. I'm going to tell you a story about that, but I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to delineate what that truth means. Now, he's going to do that to the disciples starting in verse 18, but not to the crowd. So this is the first time in the book of Matthew that Jesus is teaching in the form of parables. Before, he's been very clear about what he's saying, and that's the point you don't want to forget. He was very clear about what he was saying, and they haven't listened, they haven't heard, they haven't changed their life, so now it's going to be a little more difficult. I'm going to give you a parable. And if you can figure it out, it'll be by the help of God because it's not, not going to be easy. The disciples know that Jesus made a switch from his normal teaching style, like in that wonderful Sermon on the Mount, and they know that now he's teaching differently. Remember that there's a huge crowd that is gathered there from Capernaum and other villages to hear the Lord teach. It is a big chance for people to hear the good news, but Jesus veils it in a parable. Why would you do that? Well, he's going to talk about that now in verse 3b to 9. In only, in only one soil in this particular passage do seeds grow and manage to yield good fruit. And that's the point. One soil out of four is the only one that produces fruit. And he tells us uh, what happened to the farmer in the parable and what happened to the seed. And so I want us to understand that there's a lot of seed going out, but there's not much taking root and bearing fruit. See, the point is, some of these plants are going to grow, but the, the common denominator is there's only one that produces fruit. If you don't produce fruit, you're not the real thing. If you don't produce fruit in the Christian life, something's askew, something's wrong. Do you care about the things of God? Do you care about what God wants you to do? That makes you a fruit producer. If you say, I've got my salvation, I'm going to do my own thing, I don't care what anybody else says, I'm not going to do the right thing, I'm not going to obey God, chances are really good, you're not the real McCoy. And we all have to ask ourselves that question, okay? What, what difference has Jesus made in my life? Has he made a difference? Do I do things differently? Do I act differently than unsaved people because of Jesus? And that's kind of where this is all going to be. Well, anyway, uh, this week we're not going to analyze this very much today because we're going to go over it again uh, when the Lord tells the disciples exactly what this parable means. So I want you to understand, this is not really a parable about the souls, uh, I mean about soils at all. It's about the hearts of people. This is a parable of hearts. What kind of hearts are out there that hear the word of God? That's what this is really about. But he's giving it in a parable, so it's about seed and soil. In verse 3, the second part there, this is a parable about common, common processes in Israel. A farmer goes out to plant his seed for the crop that he wants. So whatever seed you use is what you're after. It doesn't really tell us what kind of seed it is. Uh, we we kind of guess a little bit. There is no mention of tillage at all, uh, either before or after the planting of the seed. So we always like to think about the process of trying to get people to understand the gospel. What are we going to do? How are we going to present it uh, so that they know clearly what's being said? Uh, there's none of that here. It's just the seed goes out and it falls on different kinds 
of soil. Some of it has a, a hard pan and even some rocks. So what is clear is that the farmer is planting by broadcasting, just like you saw up here. Guy had on a satchel and uh, his seed was in there. He's walking along. He's just throwing seed out on the ground, okay? And that's, that's pretty common. As a matter of fact, uh, back when my father-in-law was alive, um, he went to drill a quarter of wheat near Bird City, Kansas, as one of our furthest fields away, and uh, he wanted me to go check it with him. And uh, I walk out in the middle of this field, I'm looking at stuff, and I'm saying, what is going on here? I said, this stuff isn't even in the dirt. What did you do? You know, I, I called him Dad. He's my, my father. I called him Dad and Mom. I said, Dad, what, what are you doing? He said, I, I'm seeing seed on top of the on top of the ground, it's in rows. Did you not put the drill in the ground? He said, no, I didn't put the drill in the ground. See, he's the old school guy, you know. We, had, we didn't have a, a drop of moisture anywhere. There's no moisture to plant in. So they would use the drill and they'd broadcast it on the ground. So here's these rows of wheat seed just on the ground. And I also noticed he fertilized it because there's little white pellets all over the place, you know. And it, nothing had happened. It was not doing anything. I said, what'd you do that for? He said, well, because that's the way you do it when there's no moisture. I, I've never seen that before. Lo and behold, you know, about three or four weeks later, it had all sprouted. It looked like it had been drilled just like everything else. And it was, it was one of the better fields we had. I didn't know you could do that. Well, that's what they did in those days. You just threw it out. But it depends on where the, where the seed falls because where he went through some places where there were some lagoons, those flooded out and nothing came up there. So it all depends on the soil and what, what kind of soil it is and where it's at. And uh, he also had another saying, plant in the dust, bins bust. I believe that now uh, because of what I saw. In verse 4, back in our text, the hard soil of the path was where the birds devoured the seed before anything could happen. All right, the words ate them are from a word that means to devour in, in a, a ravenous way and not a gentle way. And I wanted to point that out uh, in Revelation 12, in Revelation 12, 3 and 4. What kind of devouring was this? Same word, but it's used in a different context, and here's what it says. Another sign, uh, let's see, make sure I'm in the right place. Is that where I want to be? Yes, Revelation 12, 3 and 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, the great dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, horns was on its head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, that's Israel, who was about to give birth to the child, that would be the Messiah, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So this is Satan going after Jesus, and you can imagine how much ferocity was involved in that. This is the same word here. These birds came along, they devoured the seed. They didn't care about the farmer, they didn't care about it growing, they just cared about themselves. In verses 5 and 6, the plants on rocky, minimal soil... Uh, that those plants sprang up, but they didn't last long because they had no depth of soil. Now, that's where my father-in-law got away with it because it was in a nice field. It wasn't on rock, and once it, once it sprouted and rooted, it, it put a root down, and it did okay. But this can't because it's just rocky soil. There's, there's rock everywhere. It can't grow. The plant, cannot, the plant cannot take a strong root in something that doesn't exist. I've always fascinated, you know, been fascinated by walking up here to the front of the church and seeing in the cracks between the cement little plants growing. How do you do that? 
you know, how do you grow in the crack of, of cement? And sometimes even where it's just been cut, but they do it. They don't last long. Well, number one, because I pull them out and kill them, but they're not going to last long anyway because there's nowhere to go. Well, then in verse 7, the seed fell among the thorns, and it grew, uh, it grew, but later was choked out by the thorns. All right, I'm sure it had to be like must thistle, Canadian thistle, Russian thistle, and probably didn't mention it, but probably yucca is involved in there as well. And, and I know how we all feel about yucca, right? Anyway, the, the weeds choke it out. Boy, that's going to be convicting next week when we find out what Satan has used to choke out the life of people who aren't really Christians. They're weeds. And people get caught up in the weeds of this world that really don't matter. And it chokes out their spiritual life. I heard a guy on the radio the other day say, um, I'm glad Jesus didn't tell us exactly when he was coming down because we'd goof off more than we are now. Verse 8, there was only one good soil and seed that fell in this soil that sprouted and did what none of the other plants did. They produced fruit. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, but they all produced fruit. Now that's the picture of a genuine believer. The others are not genuine because no, they didn't produce fruit, okay? So I'm always asking myself, you know, are you, are you producing any fruit? Is that really what you're doing or not? Well, we want to do that. We want to produce fruit. And we learn our next time that this is... Uh, Certainly not about uh, a lesson in broadcasting seed for farmers. It's about people who are fishermen of, of men and women and boys and girls trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. In verse 9, there is no opportunity for anyone God enlightens with understanding uh, to actually figure out what the parable meant. That's what Jesus said. There is, there is an opportunity if God opens up their heart to understand what the parable meant for them to understand. And don't forget that. In verses 10 to 17, those who reject Jesus are accursed and blind, but those who accept him are blessed. So there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who trust Christ as Savior and those who don't. That's all there is. In verses 10 and 11, it's been a while since we were there, let me read that. The disciples came and said, Why are you speaking in parables to them? And Jesus answered, To you it has been granted to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. And by the way, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you know him and you're living for him and the fruit is there, you're one of those that God opened up your heart to understand the truth of the gospel and you said, Yes, I need that. I must have that. I need forgiveness of my sins. And you get on board. And other people just haven't got it. It doesn't make sense to them. They don't, they don't understand what you're talking about. In fact, they make fun of you for talking about it. Jesus, speaking in parables, aroused this curiosity in his disciples about why are you doing this method of teaching? Why don't you go back to the plain way? And the answer is that they have been given the ability to understand the kingdom, but not the Jews who have rejected him. Well, what did they do to reject him? Well, if I go back to Matthew chapter 4, and I read uh, verse 17, it says very plainly, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not a parable, that's just a simple truth on how do you become a believer. Repent, right? I'm sorry for my sins, I ask your forgiveness, 
And uh, God, I trust in you that you're going to take care of my sins. And that's how you become a Christian. Jesus was laying that out very, very plainly. And the disciples have noticed, but not, not anymore. Let's go to Matthew uh, 12, 24, which is not far from where we're at there. It says, but when the Pharisees heard this, people saying that Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons by Beelzebul and the ruler of demons. You know what they did? They just put the spiritual noose around their own throat. Jesus has given them all this information, all these miracles, all these things from God, and they deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it. And Jesus says, this is because they can't understand it. And Jesus goes to parables. And that's what he did. Those granted, Jesus says in verse 12, to know the truth will gain more truth. Those who are not granted to know it will even lose what they already have. What on earth does that mean? Those who did know some and didn't, I'm sorry, did not know some will lose even what they had. I would agree with some of the commentators here where they said it probably means that the people who deny Christ will fall into more error and that, that they did, uh, I'm sorry, and what they did know will become even less clear to them, much like my last sentence because I got all messed up. Let me try it again. It probably means that the people who deny Christ will fall into more error, and what they did know will become even less clear to them. Have you ever seen that in people? People that you've told the gospel to, and they, they don't like it, they don't care about it, they don't accept it, and it seems like the older they get, the harder they get, and the less they want to hear about it, the less they'll tolerate it. Just bring up God, and they walk away. And this is the Pharisees. They've, they've written Jesus off. They said he's a worker for Satan. He's not the son of God. He's not the Messiah. We're not going to listen to him anymore. And so Jesus says, okay. Then we're going to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 6 that Isaiah spoke about. And here's where we're at. They went from knowing exactly where Christ was to be born. Remember that? The wise men from the east came. They went to the religious leaders and they said, where is the Messiah to be born? They opened the scroll. They flipped over, opened the scroll, and they're going through there and saying, well, it says right here he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They went from that, knowing the future about where the Messiah is supposed to be, they went from that to this guy is a servant of Satan. This guy is not the Christ. How do you do that? You see there's a progression. They just got worse and worse the more they denied. In verse 13, all they deserve are parables because they have already shown they cannot comprehend the truth about Christ and his kingdom. In a sense, God gave them, in the senses, I'm sorry, God gave them so as to be able to perceive are not picking up anything. Why is this? It's because Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah 6. He foretold about this uh, response to Jesus and it's about his contemporaries, Jesus' contemporaries. So a couple of places where we can fortify that, uh, that statement and that belief. Second Chronicles 4.4, 4, why people can't hear and understand the gospel. Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, did I say Chronicles? It's Corinthians, we all know that, okay, except me. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, right? The Bible says Satan is the little g God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not, cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
Satan is blinding their minds so they cannot even understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Romans 1, uh, starting in verse 21. Romans 1, 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, which every Pharisee did, every Sadducee did, every scribe did, professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. He's talking about idolatry there. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the uh, scribes were pretty much just worshiping themselves. In verse 14, Isaiah foretold by the Spirit of God over 500 years before Christ that this generation will not be aided in their quest for a knowledge of God through their sensory perceptions of heart, of seeing, and of hearing. You know, I've heard uh, people say to me and to other people, you just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. Now, what they mean by that is you're not understanding the event the way they think you should. You're not understanding the event the way it really is, and you need to open your eyes. Or they think you should know. And this is kind of what's happening in the text. You just don't get it. Well, why don't I get it, Jesus? Tell me. In fact, in John chapter 10, they said, why don't you just come out and tell us plainly who you are? Just tell us who you are. And he said, I did tell you. And in John 10, he says, but you didn't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. You know what he just said to the religious leaders? <laughs> you don't get it. You're, you're dead to the message. You're, you're blind to what's going on. One could teach these people till they weren't able to talk anymore teaching, and they would glean nothing from it, nothing at all. It's like when someone explains something to you and you just can't get it figured out. They say, well, I'm explaining it to you. Just do this or that. I don't, I don't understand. That's these people. Here's why these people will not be able to comprehend by faith what Jesus is telling them. Jesus tells them, you have a heart that is dull. Dull represents something that is impervious. Only God can make the gospel make sense to a person. Now, remember we read about how the God of this world is blinding the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the truth. Uh, the rest of that particular truth is that if God opens up their heart to see the truth, they can understand it. They can, under, they can understand what God is saying. It says down in verse 6 of that passage, so he said in verse 4, the God of this world is blinding your mind so you cannot see the truth. Now he says in verse 6, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, remember the dark kingdom, and the one who has shown in our hearts uh, to give us light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That would be the Holy Spirit. He can open your heart to, to see the truth. He can open your heart to say, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think Jesus is the Savior of the world. I think he is the Messiah. I think he can save me from my sins. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that uh, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord, it's not of us. All that's tied up in what Jesus is saying. Well, um, the ears, their ears, I should say, are hard of hearing. Their eyes are closed to the truth. They just watched Jesus cast a demon out of somebody. 
And their response was, well, that was a work of Satan. Don't listen to this guy. And they're not listening. Otherwise, their hearts would be the good soil that we were talking about. And they heard the proof of the Savior. And they would go on. And then in John 10, that's again where Jesus said, I am talking to you plainly. You just, you don't get it. That would also mean that Jesus would heal them if they would come, if, they, if their hearts were opened. Heal is the act of physical healing. This word therapeuo in the Greek is, is pretty much about physical healing, but it can also be about spiritual healing. Spiritual healing is when you take a dead spirit and Jesus gives you the opportunity to understand that there is a Savior. He paid for your sins and you trust that your spirit becomes alive. We call that regeneration. And everything starts making sense to you about God and the Bible. It also means then a variety of ills, but also the maladies that come to us spiritually. There's spiritual healing with Jesus. The whole of God's purpose is to bring healing uh, because he is the great physician to the souls of the people. The issue here is the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Now, um, this, is, this is where you hear people debate in Christianity the difference between Calvinism where there's predestination of the saved, and Arminianism, where there isn't predestination, and you can lose your salvation. And uh, the Bible doesn't teach both, because they're, they're diametrically opposed. So this is where the debate comes in. I uh, understand that in, in the doctrinal statement of the Evangelical Free Church of America, we got to the place where you could be a Calvinist, that was okay, not a hyper-Calvinist, saying that uh, only got, the gospel was only for, for those who were chosen. That, that was out of bounds, but the rest of it they could accept. Or you could be an Arminian, which the free church was from the beginning. But now we've said that's not going to be a big issue, and so I'm trying to uh, get, get these guys through that, their ordination exam, and they wrote a paper, and this one guy was such a Calvinist that, that he even made me upset. And he, and he, he wrote in his paper... Uh, that people don't even have to trust Christ as Savior because those who have been chosen will be saved anyway. And I had a little conniption fit as the chairman of the, of the council. I said, does man have any responsibility at all? Does he have to do anything? He said, well, if they're chosen and they die without doing anything, they'll go right to heaven. And I said, really? I said, what about Romans 10, 9, and 10? With your mouth, you're confessing. With your heart, you're doing this stuff. And he told the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to do something. He had to believe. Now, the reason he believed, that's the debate. How could he believe? Okay, that's the debate. But he still was told to believe. He had to make a decision. I made a decision when I was eight years old to trust Christ as my Savior. All right? Uh, God opened my heart so I could understand that truth. I, I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm thankful for that. And you are too, if you know Christ as your Savior. You're very thankful for that. But the issue here is... You have to say something. So I made such an issue out of it, and I went to Romans 10, 9, and 10 and read it. I said, what about that? And it didn't seem to matter to him. I said, you know what? I'm done, <laughs> right? Man has to make a decision. The Bible's clear about that. Whether you're a Calvinist or a Arminian, he has to make a decision. And unless you put that in your paper, we are not going forward with this ordination. Now, the rest of the committee is there, and this is all new to them. They hadn't heard that, and they just found out the chairman says we're not going ahead with this, and that's the way it's going to be. So the guy reluctantly went home, changed it in his paper, and said, and man, and man should make a decision. All right, well, okay. Um, I had fought hard and long, and I just 
thought it was not worth going any further than that. I was okay with that. Okay. You uh, made a decision. Well, that's a debate for some other time. In verse 16, there are those who are blessed of God. I believe and I hope it's every person in this room. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you can see it in your life, the way you live, the decisions you make, how you act, because Jesus doesn't save you so you can just act the same old way you did as a pagan, right? All things have become new to us. We care about serving God. We care about doing the right thing. And even if we don't have time, we, we stop and care about people, right? Um, God has given a well and I a few chances to do that here in the last week. You know, we had other things going on. and No, man, take care of something else. That's because we're, we're Christians. We, we think that's of God. We need to do that. And you're like that. And you take the time for that. Your life shows that it's different. You don't live like the world anymore. People that say they know Christ and live like the world, got a problem here, folks. You got a problem. Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're blessed of God. You recognize the truth. And you want to live it, not because you have to, but because you love the God that gave his life for you and me. And by the way, this whole process is, uh, looks simple on the outside, but this is in God's hands to do. God is the one who saves. Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples here. They will be the recipients of the correct interpretation of this parable. If somebody else wanted to know what it was, they're going to have to dig deeper if they have enough gumption to say, I really, I really need to figure this out. Uh, I, I had the blessing one time I was trying to share the gospel with a person in the hospital people running in and out hospitals are busy places and I'm trying to get the message out and she's just person acted like they wanted to hear it anyway and I, I told the gospel message and I asked a question they were confused I could tell that so I just dropped it and the next day I went into that person's room and they said hey I'm glad you came back I need to ask you a question what on earth were you trying to tell me yesterday? <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad you asked. Nobody's around, and we explained it, and that person trusted Christ as their Savior. They said, I, I thought that's what you meant, but I wasn't sure. And I'm just praising God for that second opportunity. They got it. They got it. And they're in. Some people still just don't get it. Church? Ugh. God? Ugh salvation for my sins ain't got any what do i need him for i've had people tell me i don't need that i heard donald trump in an interview say what do i need to repent of i don't do anything wrong <laughs> well you just did something wrong there don you know uh, the problem is you we're all sinners we need to admit that and poo-pooing away christ and what he did is not the way so anyway the privilege uh, is ours and their privilege is that through history Jesus said people prophets have been longing to see and experience what you disciples are privy to and they didn't get to people like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zechariah and other prophets long to see who are we prophesying about in the future we don't know this guy who is this guy look at the stuff he's doing David in the psalm, Psalm 22 especially, has the very words that Christ says on the cross a thousand years before Christ ever happened. And Jesus said, look, you guys, do you have any idea how privileged you are? People down through the ages, godly, religious people have been longing to hear this stuff. And you not only hear it, you see it. I'm here, Jesus said. And it makes us sad for dull hearts 
of the religious leaders and of people in our day who we've tried to tell about Jesus and they either don't want to hear it or they just don't get it. They have a blank look on their face and wonder, what are you talking about? Seeing what, what uh, truly righteous people long for, they saw it. Instead, the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. That's quite a difference, I'd say, wouldn't you? One of them wants to love him with all their heart, and the other one wants to kill him as soon as they can. And today, there's still people doing the same thing. There are people that hate Jesus that much, and they want to see him done away with. They want to see his church gone from this world, because apparently we're in the way of them doing what they want to do, which doesn't include us. Well, they're going to get they're going to get their wish when Jesus takes us out of here in the rapture. What do we want to do in the meantime? Tell people about how they can go to heaven. And it's simple. Even though God did all the work, it's simple. Just admit you're a sinner. Ask Jesus to forgive you and ask him to be your your savior because you believe he died on the cross for you. And if you do that with your heart, you're a, you became a believer. You just did that while you were here today. Tell me. I have a little book to give you to help you work out that and see what the Bible says in more detail. But uh, here's some applications. The children will be done soon, so we better uh, bring us to a close. Number one, it is a God-given privilege to be able to see, hear, and understand Jesus. And if you have, God gave you that privilege because he loves you. Number two, only true believers bear spiritual fruit. We're going to learn that next week in the parable of the soils. Only believers are going to bear spiritual fruit. Unbelievers can't do this. They confess good works. They, I'm sorry. They confuse good works with spiritual fruit. There's a world of difference. Thirdly, Jesus has the prerogative to reveal himself to whomever he wills. Matthew 11:25. And that's something I guess we just need to learn to live with, right? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. This is well-pleasing in your sight. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, that's all kind of difficult to figure out and to swallow, but that's what it says, right? So we believe it. Let's pray. I want to thank you that you made salvation so simple for us that salvation comes to us without cost. All we had to do was understand and trust with our heart what you did for us on that cross where you paid for all of our sins because you loved us. And yet we've given that message to hundreds of people and they just don't get it. We pray because we don't know the beginning from the end that you would open their hearts yet that they would see the truth of the gospel, and that we would keep trying. And I ask that you would guard us in that and guide us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.